Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. Good morning, everybody. As we go to our teaching time today, I invite you just to have prayer with me for a moment. Father, we thank you for the opportunity of your word. We thank you for its truth. We thank you for what it speaks and means into our lives, and Father, we thank you for your presence that has been here today. Thank you for this worship time of engaging you, and Lord, I just ask now that you would continue by your spirit to open our hearts to what you want to do in and through us. God, I ask that you enable me now to share this, that God, your, your word would truly speak life. It would comfort us. It would challenge us. Father, it would help us to really let go of any fear that might be in our lives and really cling to faith. And God, I pray this for everybody in the room that knows you the least, to everybody in the room that knows you the most. May we leave here really taking a step closer into who you are and what you have for us in our lives. We ask that now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Uh, Several years ago, my wife and I were asleep in bed, middle of the night, and my wife wakes up and she has to go to the restroom. So... She gets up and goes into our master bathroom. Doesn't turn on any lights. She just goes into the master bathroom. Well, when she gets up, that wakes me up, and I think, you know what? I need to go to the restroom. But I knew she was in the master bathroom, so I got up, headed down the hallway to the guest restroom. I didn't, the guest bathroom, I didn't turn on any lights, and I didn't tell her that I had gotten out of the bed. So when I start back down the hallway towards our room, my wife, all the lights are out, but my wife is standing in the hallway adjusting the thermostat. She looks and sees this tall intruder walking towards her because she thinks I'm in bed. Well, I think she knows I am in bed. So all of a sudden, she looks and she just screams, ah! Well, when she screams, I thought there was somebody behind me. So I scream and turn and go, ah! And try to grab something and there's nothing there. Well, when I jumped and screamed, it scared her more, and she screamed, ah! Well, then when she screamed, I still thought somebody was around me, so I'm screaming, ah! And I'm just swinging at the air, trying to hit whatever's there. And for the 15 to 30 seconds, we're just screaming at one another, having no idea who we're screaming at or why we're screaming. This goes on in your senior pastor's home at night. We need help in our house. We were afraid of nothing. But fear is real, is it not? We live in a very fear-filled world. And every one of us, I don't care how old we are, experience and encounter fear. And the Bible understood this. In fact, the most common phrase, the most often used phrase in the Bible is fear not or do not be afraid. Some 365 times that phrase is used in the Bible as if it knew we were going to need a fear not every single day because it knew that every day had a potential of real fear coming into our lives. And Jesus Christ, when he walked this earth in his life and ministry, he confronted fear. He dealt with fear in people's lives. And there's an incredible story that the second gospel of the New Testament, the gospel of Mark, Records in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. If you happen to have a Bible or a Bible app, I encourage you to turn there if you'd like. We're going, all the scriptures we're going to look at will be on the screen as well. But as you're turning there, I want to give you the backdrop of what's taking place 
Jesus Christ has been teaching all day at the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is lo located in northern Israel. Many people lived there, highly populated, because Sea of Galilee provided a great water source for people. And the way the Sea of Galilee is laid out, it's, 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 it's down in a basin with a lot of hills surrounding it. And in certain places, you can stand on the seashore or be out a little bit off the shore in a boat that most likely Jesus Christ was. And the people sitting up on the hillside, it served as kind of an amphitheater. And you could speak naturally, but the way the acoustics were, it would almost amplify your voice like you were, uh, had a microphone. So it was a very interesting phenomenon. And that mostly like is what Jesus is doing. He's teaching the people. He's been teaching all day. He's tired. He's ready to call it a day. And we pick up the story in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. And this is what we see happen. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, these disciples are fighting for their lives. They could drown and die. This is a life and death matter. So it's only humanly natural that they would have fear in this situation. I mean, if you think you're going to die, fear is going to be a natural response. That's why for many years, when I would read this story, I would get very frustrated and confused by the question that Jesus Christ asked his disciples. He asked him, why are you so afraid? And it just kind of made me mad, to be honest with you, because it almost sounds like he's rebuking them for having any fear. And I'm thinking, well, Jesus is one of two things. He's either unconcerned or he's disconnected. He's totally out of touch. Because he's either telling them, hey, you can't have any fear at all. All you have to have is faith. Have no fear, no matter what the situation is, no matter how scary it may be. It's as if he doesn't care at all about our emotions, about what we feel. Or he's totally out of touch. He doesn't understand the world we live in. He doesn't understand the human psyche and how we can get fearful. And i got to be honest with you. I thought, I, I don't know if I can follow this guy if he doesn't care about where I am or what I'm dealing with or he doesn't understand what I'm dealing with. But as I looked at this story in the years past and I got into what was happening here, I realized that Jesus, oh yeah, he definitely cares. He definitely understands what's taking place. Because in this story where there is great fear, I believe we have three insights that we can take from this story. Insights about us, insight about Christ, and an insight about what it means to have faith in Christ. I call them storm insights. Let's look at the first storm insight. And it's a storm insight about us. And here's what I would say. We are a fallen people who live in a fallen world where storms are real. Can you read that out loud with me, please? We are a fallen people who live in a fallen world where storms are real. Now, when I'm using the term storms here, I'm not just talking about the physical type of storm, a weather storm that we see happening in this story, though obviously it includes that. But I'm using it also metaphorically, which the storm also represents. 
in terms of the type of wickedness and evil in our world that can bring storms into our lives, the sin that can bring storms into our lives, emotional storms, psychological storms, physical storms like illness and disease, relational storms, financial storms, the, the sin, wickedness, and evil in our culture and our lives that can produce the kind of storms that we're talking about here in this story. But the, the idea is we have storms because we have walked away from God as a people. We as human beings have disobeyed and sinned against God. That's why storms are real, and we have this fallen world in which we live. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see the creation story. And if you go and read that story, after everything is made by God, each thing that he creates, it says it was good. Then it comes to us, and he makes us human beings, and it's very good. He made us in his image, the height of his creation, the apple of his eye. He placed us in a paradise called the Garden of Eden. He took care of every one of our needs. We were in need of nothing. And he gave us an open, eternal love relationship with him. But he said to us, if you choose to walk away from me, if you choose to live your own life, if you choose to be the God of your own life, death will come into this world. And everything associated with it, sin, disease, sickness, illness, suffering, pain, storms, such as physical storms, all that tragedy will come. Well, we chose to walk away from God, and we continue to do so. As a result, God didn't lie. Death came into this world, and we live in this fallen world, and we are a fallen people because of sin, the brokenness of sin in each other of our lives, because here's the deal. We all contribute to the fallout in this world. Every one of us has sinned against God. Every one of us have fallen short of it. In fact, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, fall short of his intention. So we're all guilty. Therefore, we're all susceptible to the touch of the evil and the wickedness storms that are in this world. And because we're so broken and we're so fallen, you and I and our own abilities cannot undo the storm. We can't undo the wickedness and the evil. We can't take care of our own sin because we fall short. We're broken, and no amount of human ingenuity, no amount of human innovation, no amount of human creativity or discovery, or no amount of human uh, uh, invention can, can do away with the wickedness and evil that is in this world. I mean, if, if we could in our own humanness, we would have by now. I mean, let's just face reality. Everybody knows and believes, for the most part, Racism is wrong. Prejudice is wrong. Bigotry is wrong. All the talking heads you see on whatever news station you may watch that are talking about the different racial issues and tensions of our nation, talk about how we need to change it, talk about how it's wrong, talk about how we've got to educate, how we've got to get better, how do we have to turn things around. Well, let's just face facts. If, if it's wrong and we know it, let's change it. Why haven't we? Because we're too broken. We, we, we don't have the capability within us. I mean, look at the amount of money this nation is spending on homeland security. Look at the amount of money we're pouring into more surveillance and more protection, more, more security and protecting us from terrorism around the world. Other nations pouring all kinds of money to, to protect us from terrorism, protect themselves. And we keep seeing every single day, it's like we wake up to a new mass shooting or to some kind of bombing. 
18-wheeler trucks driving through celebrations and running over 80-plus people. We can't stop it. If we could, we would have. You look in this story of this great storm. Most of these disciples that are with Jesus going across the Sea of Galilee, they're expert fishermen. They grew up on the Sea of Galilee. They knew storms. They'd seen storms before. They knew how to navigate through storms, but not this storm. This storm is beyond their expertise. This storm goes beyond their ability. This storm goes beyond their knowledge of how to navigate and get through it. They are scared for their lives. They don't have what it takes. If we could change and undo the wickedness and evil of this world, we would have right now. But you know what that says to me? We need a Savior. Paul understood this. The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament... In Romans chapter 7, he describes his own dilemma of knowing what is right, but having the inability to do it. Listen to what he says. Romans 7, verses 16 through 24. He says, what I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what's best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious I need God's command That God's command becomes more necessary. In other words, I have to have the constant reminder of what's right and wrong through God's command because I keep falling short, so I have to keep being reminded. But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. Look at your neighbor and say, you need help. (laughs) Some of you have been wanting to say that to your spouse for years. But then look what he says next. He says, I realize I don't have what it takes. That's where we've got to come to. I realize I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in action. Something's gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins with that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? See, we're fallen people who live in a fallen world where storms are real because we walked away from God and we can't undo the storms because we're too broken. We need a Savior. And that brings us to the storm inside about Christ. That's the storm inside about us. The storm inside about who Christ is. And this is what I would share with you. That Christ is human enough to understand our fears, yet God enough to overcome our storms. Read that out loud with me, please. Christ is human enough to understand our fears, yet God enough to overcome our storms. You see, Jesus Christ is 100% God, 100% human, uniquely blended together, the only one of his kind. So in his humanness, he understands the storms that you and I face. When we look in the story that we just read of them going across the sea, where is Jesus Christ in the story? Somebody tell me. 
You want me to reread the whole thing to you? Where is he? Asleep. Where? In the boat. He's not standing on the shore going, good luck, guys. I hope you get across. He's not sitting in some home up in Galilee, eating, watching ESPN or whatever. He is smack dab in the middle of the storm. Now, granted, he's asleep. That says two things about Jesus. One, he's exhausted. Two, he's got a clear conscience. There is no, there is no below deck on this boat, by the way. This is a crude fishing boat. He is sleeping. He's getting pelted by the wind, pelted by the rain. The waves are crashing in on him. He's getting wet in all of this. He is in the middle of the storm with these guys. And the wonderful thing about our God, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the wonderful thing about this God is that he doesn't sit up there in some high lofty tower trying to figure out what's going on. He came as Jesus Christ right into our world. And every storm you and I have encountered, he knows all about it. He's experienced it. He's walked through it. He understands the fear you and I have to deal with. In his humanness, he's been touched by every bit of it. There's not one storm you and I are walking through that he doesn't understand about. He understands our fear. That's why he can ask the question. Why are you so afraid? Now listen to what he said. This is very important. He didn't ask, why are you afraid? That's not what he asked. He didn't say, why are you afraid? He said, why are you so afraid? He's not questioning their fear. He's not saying you can't ever be afraid. He's not disconnected from the human reality in the world in which we live. He's not questioning their fear. He's questioning the level of their fear. Why are you so afraid? Because they, they've come to a place in their fear where their fear has dominated them to the place where they've lost their faith. They don't see anything to believe in. They, they've kind of lost what they can trust in. That's why Jesus asked the second question. Do you still have no faith? He's saying, I recognize your fear. I understand why you're afraid. I'm not questioning you about your fear. What I'm trying to figure out is why have you let your fear get to the place where you are right now that you can't trust me. That you don't see anything to believe in. That's what he asks. And these guys, they do turn to him. Rabbi, teacher, don't you care if we drown? What does he do? He steps up, speaks to the wind and the waves. Quiet, be still, totally calm. Oh, I am thankful to a God who understands my human condition and understands my human dilemma and understands my human plight. I am thankful to a God who can sympathize with that, but I'm even more thankful that he doesn't just sympathize with me, but as God, he can overcome and deliver me from any force of evil coming against my life. One person's happy about that. That is awesome. <laughs> I need applause. No, I'm seated. <laughs> and that's the beautiful thing. Yes, he understands humanly, but I, he's God enough to overcome. 
He's God enough. He's the deliverer. He's the Savior. He's the one that enables me to overcome. He's the one. I love the song that we sang in a moment ago. I'm no longer a slave to fear. The song didn't say, I no longer have any fear. What did it say? Slave. I'm no longer dominated, bound up by fear. I may have fear, but fear doesn't have to dominate me and bind me up. I can be free of that. Why? Because I have a Savior and a Deliverer and a God that can overcome anything that evil is trying to do in my life. Here's what's so cool about this to me. In Jewish thinking... In Jewish thinking, they, they believed demonic powers roamed the waters. And when the waters got churned up in storms such this magnitude, they believed demonic forces were at work concocting evil and about to unleash evil into, into the community, into people, into the society. So when Jesus stands up and he calls the winds and the waves, these guys are like, man, not only does he control the elements, he has control over all wickedness and evil. Wickedness, evil, sin, demonic powers, whatever they are, must bow down to Jesus Christ. Amen. And what happens with these guys? They called him teacher. Now, Teacher, another word for rabbi. Some, some translations may use the word rabbi. But in the Jewish communities, rabbis were considered the, the most respected people in the community. High regard for rabbis back in that day. So when these men are saying to him, rabbi, teacher, they're giving him the highest respect. Don't you care if we drown? But when he turns around and calms the wind and the waves... Not only has power of the elements, but in their mind, power over evil. They're like, who is this guy? He's more than just respect. Well, some respected teacher. He is God. And in these storms, they have a whole new revelation of who Jesus Christ is. See, here's the wonderful thing about our God. Yes, we are fallen people that live in a fallen world where storms are real, and the storms are here because we disobeyed and walked away from God, and we can't do anything to undo the storms. That's why we need a Savior, and we have a Savior who has come and is, as a human being has felt everything that you and I have felt, but he's not only human, he is God himself, and God, out of his sovereignty, allows the storms in this world to happen into our lives. He doesn't make them happen, but he allows them to happen wherever necessary so that you and I will move closer to who he is. Have a greater revelation of who God is. Why? Because we need him. And with all the stuff that's happening in our world, Bombs blowing up, people shooting people, running over people, and in open public places. Can God stop all that? Absolutely he could. Then why doesn't he do it? Because he's waiting for as many people as possible to turn to him. Because if he eradicates all evil, guess what happens? He eradicates most of the human race. He loves us too much. So out of his sovereignty, he allows this to happen. 
The problem is we've got to turn to him. We've got to turn to him. Paul gets a hold of this. We talked about Paul just a moment ago, writing in Romans about his own dilemma of trying to do right from wrong. What's going to happen? How can I, how can I overcome this? We left off at the end of chapter 7 where he asked the question. Let's pick up right there and go into what he discovers. He says, is there no one who can do anything for me? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fated lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. Now, I love the terminology here especially connected to the storm story we are looking at in Mark. Because what does Paul say? He says, look, you are encountering the winds of the storm of tyranny, of sin and death that comes from sin. Yet that's the storms that we're experiencing. He says, but there's a greater wind as much as the wind that comes from the evil and wickedness of sin in this earth. There's a greater wind available to us, and that greater wind is the Holy Spirit himself that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. As great as the storm is, ladies and gentlemen, the wind of Christ is greater. He goes on and he says, look, he says uh, in verse whatever, I'm lost. God went for the juggler when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity, stepped into the storm in order to set it right once and for all by his life, by his death, by his burial, and by his resurrection. He has freed us from sin. He has been able to do a transformation in our lives, at least provides us that opportunity. And the storms are real. Sin is real. Wickedness is real. Evil is real. But as real as they are, let me tell you, the overcoming, delivering, saving power of Jesus Christ is more real. The answer is name is Jesus who are we? We're a fallen people living in a fallen world where storms are real and we can't undo it because we're too broken. Who is Christ? He is human enough to understand our fears, but he's God enough to overcome them and our storms. And that leads us then to the action step we have to take. And that's the third insight. That's about faith in Christ. And here's what I would share out of the storm story. Faith is turning to Christ as I am and trusting his will to be done. Read that out loud with me, please. Faith is turning to Christ as I am and trusting his will to be done. These disciples, they do finally turn to him. Soaking wet, maybe standing ankle deep in water, wind blown, they're drowned rats. They, they have no opportunity to make themselves more presentable. They just have to turn to Christ in the condition that they're in. And it's interesting, they say, Rabbi, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now that's not really a request or an invitation. That's more complaining and commentary. You know what? But Jesus will take anything from us. Any crack to step into our lives. Because here's the deal, folks. 
The Lord will not impose His deliverance, His salvation, His overcoming prayer. He will not impose that upon us. He will not impose Himself upon us. We have to invite Him. We have to want Him into our lives and into our condition. And these guys turn as they are, not able to change one thing about what they have, what they have to offer. This is it. Drown rats. We need you. And man, he steps in. My wife, who's sitting right here on the front row, for those that don't know her, wave your hand, baby. That's my wife, Udella. Three people love you, baby. They three people there. <laughs> She, we've been married for over 32 years. She is an amazing homemaker. She keeps one of the cleanest houses I know, and I love it. People come over to our house, and they're there for a little while, and they go, does anybody even live in this home? It's so clean. But every now and then, she schedules people to come in to do what she calls deep cleaning. Does anybody know what deep cleaning is? Anybody know what that is? Do you know what my wife does on the day that people are coming in to deep cleaning? She gets up early in the morning. You know what she does? Clean the house. Yeah, everybody knows this but me, evidently. I don't get that. I say to her, what are you doing? I'm cleaning the house. I said, well, I thought people were coming to clean the house. They are. I said, so why are you cleaning the house? She says, i got to clean the house so they can clean the house. <laughs> this is elite logical thinking that my feeble mind just can't seem to wrap around. How many of you own an automatic dishwasher? Yeah. You, you, we buy and invest money in these dishwashers. What do we do with the dishes before we put them in? What? Well, we rinse them off. As much money as we're paying, the dishwater ought to set the table, clear the table, and load itself. No, we clean, we do pre-rinsing before the washing. It's crazy. I get it. The dishwasher isn't quite strong enough to clean everything. I get it. You got to clean the house enough so they know how to deep clean it. I get it. When we come to Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen, there's no pre-rinse required. There's no other cleaning required. These guys could not get dried off, get dried clothes on, blow dry their hair, and make themselves more presentable to him. Drowned rats having nothing to offer, saying, I need you. We have nothing to offer to God. There is nothing in our lives that he needs. We simply come as we are in the condition that we're in and say, I need you. He does the cleaning and the transforming and the changing in our lives. What we say to him, your will be done. Your will be done. See, this isn't the deal of, I got a problem, wake Jesus up, take care of my problem, now go back to sleep, let me continue to drive the boat. When I have another problem, I'll wake you up and you take care of it. That's not a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's using Jesus Christ. Is there anybody in here that likes to be used by anybody? That's a very unhealthy, dysfunctional relationship. Jesus Christ did not say, come and use me. He said, come, follow me. In other words, Lord, you lead, I follow. Your will be done 
the greatest thing we need in all of our lives is for the will of God to be happening in it. What does the world need? The will of God. What does this country need? The will of God. But it takes saying, here I am. Your will be done in the condition my life is in. There's an interesting part of this story that I think we tend to miss. Jesus Christ is the one that got this whole thing started. He's the one that got the convoy of boats heading across the Sea of Galilee. The very beginning of the story, it says, he got his disciples, they got in the boats, he said, let us go to the other side. That was the will of the Lord, to go to the other side. The will of the Lord was not to go in the middle, get in a storm, tip over, drown, and die. That wasn't the will of the Lord. The will of the Lord was, we're going to the other side. No amount of storms that brewed up was going to keep them from getting to the other side. The storms are going to come in our lives to keep us from the will of God. There's an enemy who doesn't want us having the will of God done in our lives or following the will of God. He wants to distract us. He wants to get us in fear. He wants us to get looking at the storm and the problems more than looking at the Lord. He wants to do everything he can to give us off center of the will of God happening in our lives. But in the midst of those storms, we can stand fast in what God says about his word, his truth, his promises. That's why we need to be students of God's word so we understand what his will is for our lives in any condition we find ourselves in. Because no matter how much the enemy huffs and puffs and blows in whatever kind of storms into our lives, God's will will be done. i got to stand fast in him. And there's always an other side to a storm in Jesus Christ. He calms this storm. They get to the other side. And then if you want to, just throughout this week, read what happens after they get to the other side. I'm going to give you the brief cliff note version of what happened. They get to the other side. They get through this storm. They get to the other side. They encounter a man who's got over 100 demons within him called Legion of Demons. He's a very violent man. He has all of the community there in fear. They won't come near him. He lives in the graveyard. Now, this is a perfect plot for Friday the 13th, sequel number 57, whatever Friday the 13th we got out there. This is a wonderful horror story plot. Nobody will come near this guy. Here's a storm of demon possession. Jesus Christ, in a single word, casts out every demon. He has an other side to this person's life. They literally go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They get off. They get off the boats. They go on to the shore. Immediately, Jesus Christ encounters a man by the name of Jairus. Jairus says, my daughter is dying. Please come and heal her. Jesus begins to head towards Jairus' house. While he's headed there, a big crowd forms, and there's a woman who is bleeding to death. And doctors can't do anything for her. She touches the hem of his garment. Jesus Christ's healing power goes out of himself into this woman, heals her. Here he encounters a storm of physical illness. He overcomes it, and he heals her. He's got an other side for that woman. He goes to Jairus' house. The daughter has died. The people in the house says, don't worry. You can't do anything. She's dead. Jesus Christ clears out the house goes in facing a storm of death and raises that girl back to life. He has an other side. Whatever your storm, whatever your problem, whatever you're dealing with, whatever sin habit keeps creeping up on you and biting you, I have a great good news for you. Jesus Christ has an other side to every storm that you're dealing with. 
I can't preach any better than that. Let me have the band come up if you would, please. Thank you for letting me rant and rave up here, but I am so passionate. Fear does not need to consume the people of God. We have the answer. We don't shove that down people's throats. But we demonstrate it in our life and our lips. Are we perfect? No. Absolutely not. But we know a God and a Savior. That no matter what storm is brewing, He always has another side. See, for followers of Christ, storms will touch us. But in the hands of God, they cannot destroy us. And there is coming a day. You've been in church any length of time or you grew up in church like I did. There is that phrase, we're going to the other side. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? No, we're going to the other side. That phrase, we're going to the other side, means there's a day coming when Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth. He'll be the eternal judge. And in his justice and righteousness, he'll eradicate all wickedness, evil, and sin in this world. He'll throw it out of this world. And he will establish his kingdom of righteousness, joy, and peace for all eternity, and all of his followers will rule and reign with him in this earth, in this place of paradise. That other side is coming, and there's no storm on this earth that can prevent it from coming. Who is Jesus Christ in your life? Who is he? Is he the leader? Is he just somebody we wake up to get us out of trouble? Maybe you're here. It's time for you to turn in the condition you're in and say, look, I just want you to leave my life. I'm tired. I'm tired of fighting the condition I'm in. I need forgiveness. I need a leader. Be my leader. Or maybe you know him as your leader. You know him as your savior, but you're facing some very challenging stuff. You've got storms brewing in your home. You've got storms brewing in your business. Storms brewing in your mind. I don't know what it may be in your finances. And you just need to say, Lord, your will be done. I'm trusting you for the other side. I invite you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment if you would, please. Father, I thank you for your presence. Thank you for letting me speak my heart as I believe you wanted me to speak it. I pray now, Spirit of God, that you will truly center in on us. May faith and courage arise in the room right now for us to do what you would want us to do in these next few moments. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you would say to me, Pastor Mark, you know what? I need prayer. I'm going through a storm. My family's going through a storm. My business, whatever it may be, I'm going through a storm. And I want prayer for the deliverer, the overcomer, to move in this storm. His will be done. But Pastor, I need prayer. You would raise your hand and say, Pastor Mark, that's me. God bless you. Thank you for your faith and courage. I'm going to ask you to take one more faith step. This is the last faith step I'll ask you to take. 
And that's simply if you raise your hand, just stand right where you are so we can pray with you right now. Nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be embarrassed about. I know that's kind of an awkward thing. But if you raised your hand, we just want to pray with you. We want to believe with you. Now, if you're a follower of Christ that believes in the healing, delivering, overcoming, forgiveness, and power of God, once you look around, if there's somebody standing, simply move to them and place a hand on them right now. We're just going to have a moment of praying, one for the other. Father God, I have no idea why these folks have raised their hand or stood up. But the great news is that you do, and that's all that matters. Lord, right now I am praying where anybody needs to repent, where, where the storms that we're dealing with may be a primary result of the sinful decisions or choices we've made. Father, wherever repentance needs to take place, I pray right now by faith, out of a deep desire to honor you. They're asking you to forgive them, Lord. And right now they're feeling that forgiveness. They're knowing that you are forgiving them right now and cleansing them. And that fear of being separated from you or just being uh, having some kind of tense relationship is giving way right now to a sense of openness to you in the name of Jesus. Father, I'm praying for anybody that's walking through a family storm, that's walking through an emotional storm, that's walking through, Father God, a psychological store, financial, whatever it may be, God. Maybe they're dealing with illnesses, Lord. I'm praying in Jesus' name. You, this amazing Savior, this amazing God, this amazing healer and deliverer, your will be done. May the over other side of what you want to do in every situation begin to take place right now. May there be a great sense of comfort, a great sense of peace, and a great sense of hope. Fear is giving way to faith for your praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.